Fans about films. Nerdy and informative. Greetings, dear listeners, and a very warm welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films. It has been a while, actually, but uh, yeah, I just didn't have any guests, and now I have one. Actually, one who already has been a guest on this show, and I would love to reintroduce this lovely, lovely person, my good, good Twitter friend, Samantha. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me again. I haven't done a podcast like this in, I think few months actually um i think the last one i did was for my friend austin on his uh show called the film room which i i recommend listening to it's really really good and he's a great person to talk to too oh yeah <clears throat> i listened to that it's really good um so this time yeah. we are doing something a little bit differently uh because um normally i really don't do uh, like um, film reviews on here what, of, of things that are currently out. Like normally I do that for my German video uh, series, but uh, with some of these movies I've seen in the US, I will do an exception because I by myself don't really, uh, I don't think I can do them any justice when I just talk uh, about them by myself. And so I figured for some of these movies, I should actually get some uh, podcast friends uh, on this show and uh, talk with them about it. So um, we saw, we both saw The Grinch a couple of days ago. And yeah. um, I saw you had some opinions and I did too, but you only know my opinion in a very, very short version. So let me ask yeah, you... Um, what is your history with the Grinch story and character and all that stuff? I don't remember exactly when I first saw it. I think I saw the original Chuck Jones shorts when I was really little. I can't remember if it was on the VHS or a rerun on Cartoon Network. It was either one of those two. But it's still like one of my one of my favorite shorts of his and one I watch, make sure to watch every every Christmas season. Um, I... I think I've only seen the live action one once all the way through back when I was 14. And even then, like nowadays, I think I've only seen it like in snippets on like ABC Family and shit like that, or Freeform as it likes to be called for whatever the fucking reason. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know why they changed it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's my history. My opinions on the live action one, I haven't seen it since, um, since that period, so I don't really have much of an opinion on it nowadays. I, I doubt I'd like it that much now, especially after seeing this latest one. Oh, uh, I see. What about you? Um, I have actually, I've seen the live action one fairly recently, just a couple of weeks ago for a podcast that will come out in December, so look forward to that. Um, for, for It's a 90s Christmas podcast. We did that one for our um, December film slot. But I don't have much history with the Grinch because in Germany the Dr. Seuss stories are not that popular actually. I think some people know it but mostly we just know the characters from the various movies, you know. We, we don't have a history with a Chuck Jones cartoon, we don't have a history with the books and all that stuff. It's just not that popular here and I don't really know why. Or maybe that's just something I missed. Maybe there are a lot of people who know these stories from the original books. I just didn't. And so my first experience was with the live-action version, and then I watched snippets of a cartoon here and there online, um, and I've seen all the other Dr. Seuss uh, quote-unquote adaptations. Uh, let's keep it at that. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, I didn't mind some of them. I, we can still agree that Cat in the Hat is the absolute worst one. Um, the Cat in the Head was actually the first movie I walked out of in the like in the as a kid when I when when the movie was over I realized that I watched something bad and I had a headache that was a very very scarring experience for me as a kid. <laughs> that's, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, and I watched uh, I watched the Grinch uh, the live action Grinch. I watched it like only maybe like once when I was um, a little bit smaller and then. Um, I've seen Horton Hears a Who on DVD, which I which I enjoy, you know, it which I enjoy fine. Yeah. And 
And Valorex, you know, I know it's I know that a lot of people hate it and it completely gets the message wrong, but as a movie itself, it has some some nice parts in it. Um what whatever, you know, I don't I don't care that much because I don't have a history with this, these stories. So I don't I'm not offended when they change yeah. something. I find it interesting how the two most admirable qualities of the animated um Seuss adaptations before this one was the fact that Powell's scores for them were really good. Mm-hmm. Especially Horton. It's like I, I'm I said I said this a few times on my Twitter that Horton's uh, score was actually the first real score I actually paid attention to when I was a kid. It's actually one of the main reasons why I got into film music. Yeah. Especially um, two tracks in particular, uh, Mountain Chase and We Are Here, which are like weirdly like reminiscent of a... Uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who did the music for The Thing and... Ennio Morricone. I can never pronounce his name. Ennio Morricone, you mean? Yeah, him. Yeah, it has this uh, spaghetti western feeling in uh, Mountain Chase, you're right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's... Uh, I think we got wrapped up enough, so... But yeah, no, no, I, I can totally understand that. I got uh, through John Powell to film scores as well. My first experience was Chicken Run when I realized, wow, this is actually really good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Chicken Run score is still absolutely amazing, like, to this day. Like, I... it's, it's great. It's, 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 it's actually better than the original score they paying homage to, which is Emma Bernstein's The Great Escape. <laughs> That's... How often does that happen? Uh, that happens sometimes. <laughs> Anyway, so um, and now this adaptation, um, which when I um, yeah, let's get to the meat now um, yeah. of this episode, because when I first heard this was advertised, I think that was the first thing I heard about it was Benedict Cumberbatch is playing the Grinch, and it's an Illumination movie. That's that's literally I think the first thing everybody heard, and I was both excited and a little scared. <laughs> I think that's the reaction everybody had, so... Yes, yes. Um, because, let, let me say this, you know, I don't... I have not this nostalgic experience with The Grinch, you know. I think it's a cute story, but it's not like I grew up with it. So I was like, let's see how this goes, but I have a history with Illumination. Let me say this about Illumination. Um, a lot of their movies aren't even awful. There are mediocre they have made one really really good movie that was the first despicable me i still enjoy that one it's really oh, yeah, good um i think a lot of people still do but then it just and i enjoyed the second one to a certain extent but then it just people caught on to their formula which is i think they spent a lot more money on advertising than their scripts um it's absolutely insane how big their advertising budget must be because it's just constantly bombarding you with trailers with posters with toys and their films seem to be manufactured to get as many toys and um like um i don't know like a cross promotion as possible and they hail themselves as the greatest thing ever in these trailers it's just you you see this you see trailers in front of everything and and, and posters and and toys and it's just i don't know it it just it just drives me insane because it feels so incredibly hollow yeah i'd say that's my opinion too it's like it's weird like you you get so wrapped up and angry at the marketing and then when you actually watch the movie you're like oh that that wasn't that bad actually at all early it's like it's just like the most basic in and out experience ever yeah that's true that's that's totally true and that really angers me because you can't even really get mad at them and there were there were two movies i skipped from them i didn't see the third despicable me because at that point i was done and my little brother told me that it sucked and i didn't see sing because i saw the trailer and was like you're not even trying anymore no saying i was actually kind of interested in that because the director was um first of all it was a live action director so i was interested in seeing how someone who worked in live action would translate to animation Mm -hmm. spoilers he didn't do that nothing interesting with it (laughs) yeah uh, it was a director from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy a movie i don't like uh, some movie called son of rambo which i've been interested in watching for years now 
That one sounds really interesting. I still need to see that. But when it came out, yeah. I I thought like, hey, this looks this looks actually pretty good. So Although, yeah. Uh, speaking of live action directors working in animation, that's the funny thing because it wasn't until a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago, that I found out that apparently Kevin Smith's editor and producer co-directed this movie. Yes, when I saw it was the that, the surreal thing I found out all week. <laughs> When I saw it on IMDb, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Scott freaking Mosher co-directed this? Because I know I know him, I know his work really well from him working with Kevin Smith as an actor, editor, and of course as a producer. And I was like, what else has he done? Because this is pretty much the only things I know him from. And when I found out, like, he, he wrote a couple of scripts for like uh, Ultimate Spider-Man TV series, and he wrote the script for that... Uh, animated Freebirds movie that nobody saw. Oh god, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I only know that movie, uh, Freebirds, from the midnight screenings uh, oh, show. God, that was fantastic. Online, like the the, uh, the the Brad Jones show. So it's uh, <laughs> there's a turkey named Jake. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the only. And I, so I was like, okay, now my interest is actually peaked in a way and uh, the trailers of course they show shenanigans but whatever because i was like has the grinch now turned into the modern christmas carol where like just like every couple of years there will be a new adaptation in a way because the grinch hasn't had that many adaptations yet but still yeah. um, it's a story that everybody knows so doing another adaptation Doing another adaptation is kind of pointless, but I, I, I still, I'm still thinking about there has to be, there have to be some kids, you know, some modern kids who haven't seen the other adaptations or haven't read the books. So this could actually be a great opportunity for them to uh, discover the story, because they, yeah, they, 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 they follow the story, you know, pretty, pretty much, and just do some do some things to quote-unquote pad it out because it's a very very short story and of course it has to fill the 90 minutes so uh. <laughs> yeah and when you come to that conclusion when like you're adapting a short story you typically got to expand it and i think the problem with some of the other uh, adaptations specifically in this case um the, the first live action grinch i think they focused way too much on the the relationship between the who uh, who's and the Grinch and like the mystery of what he was mm -hmm. rather than like the actual point of the story. Yeah, that's true. But the point where the actual point of the story just gets like gets rushed in by the third act. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but what I think is interesting is that this is the first um, time I think since Horton that I've seen a live action uh, uh, an adaptation of Sue's story actually focus on like the main crux of the story itself. That's yeah, I I can agree with that. Um, it's, it's weird. Like you, you would think that by this point, like the point, whole point of the Chuck Jones short was the show, like the Grinch doing the heist, and then you got the live action one go taking a major step backwards and barely having the heist, and so what I think is really smart here is that they actually in this version they focus on the planning which allows it to feel expanded from the short story without feeling like padding, which is really smart. And that's why I think it's really, that was really surprising to me, because I think I actually said when it was first announced that, like, okay, we already had the two adaptations, what can you do now? Well, how about a heist movie? And they, they actually listened to me, which was really weird. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I agree with that. This, that is really funny, um, because... I, I was like, I was like, okay, we already had the ninety minutes adaptation. How will they do it differently? And what I was afraid of was just doing constant comic relief stuff to pad it out, and just uh, doing some 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 just stupid shit with it. And I was ready to not having a good time with it. When I sat down, I was all by myself. Just to, <laughs> ironically, he plays all by myself on an organ. Um, I was all by myself in this theater. Like, a couple of families were there, but it was very, very quiet. And um, it starts with this uh, swooping um, camera shot through the forest, and then we see Whoville, and just I, I immediately I was kind of turned off because I would have liked to see if they... I think... I actually think wasn't um, Horton Here's a Who. Was that Blue Sky? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it was those guys. Yeah, so of course they can't just grab that Whoville and those Who's 
they had to yeah. reinvent the Who's from a design and character point of view, which I was kind of disappointed by, because it would have been great to see the mayor again, you know, to, to see all oh, of, yeah, yeah. of those characters again, but now they had to design a different Who will now, which which kind of turned me off a little bit. Um, and, you know, for, for the first couple of minutes, I was like, okay, whatever. And um, to actually say my two cents about the movie, I liked it way more than I expected it uh expected it to i still have issues with it but for what it is this is actually a fine very inoffensive movie but it being inoffensive is actually one of the problems it has a little bit because in my opinion it takes the grinch and the message and everything it neuters it down to a very pc kid-friendly inoffensive kind of like a conf uh, conflictless story, non-conflict story, and um, I was kind of disappointed by that because it it, it goes. I was, yeah. I was kind of too, but then I f- started to think about why the the live action one didn't work with that when it tried to do the same thing that the the, the original story did, and why it just didn't work there. And I think maybe neutering it kinds of works in this story because. This Grinch that we have isn't necessarily the same Grinch that we had in the original story or in the in the Chuck Jones shorts or even the live action one. In many ways, I would describe I, I described him in my review as like a mix of the the genius and like determination and wackiness of Wiley e. Coyote with the same sort of stubbornness and passive aggressiveness of Daffy Duck. Oh, that's and true. I think that's an actually interesting angle to play up the Grinch because. What they do here is they play up the Grinch less like a guy who hates Christmas and more so just hates <laughs> hates everything about Christmas, which I think a lot of people can relate to, especially me, because, fuck, if you live in America, you see Christmas stuff in, like, middle of October. Oh. It's like... Yeah, it's the same so as... So I think that's what they were trying to do. They were kind of, like, harping on that side of the Grinch to work on, like... People like me were that are just like annoyed at the fact that like Christmas is being shoved in our faces when we don't really want it to be. Uh, best showcased in the opening scene where he goes down the Whoville and he gets <laughs> he gets king. He gets get a group by a bunch of Christmas carolers. Yeah, when they when they uh, yeah that, that was that was quite funny when they just follow him and. Uh... <laughs> aggressively and they do the West Side Story thing too. Yeah, like... singing to his ears <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> Although that, that does bring up one question that I had walking out of the movie. So, the Christmas carolers are singing Christmas songs, because of course they are. But one of the songs they're singing mentions Christ yeah, and yeah. Jesus. Notice so, that like, it's just in the universe of the Who's now? It's like... I mean, in the, in, the, in the Ron Howard version, Santa Claus exists in that universe too. You see, you see Santa briefly. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was weird. It's just, okay, we have the license to use that song, so just use it without thinking about what it actually means for this universe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, but that was weird. I don't know. I, too. But I, I, don't know. Um, I, I found the angle interesting and also confusing how they portrayed the relationship between the Grinch and the town. Because, first of all, uh, them trying to give him a backstory, and this one makes less sense than in the Ron Howard version because I couldn't follow the backstory. I was like, okay, he is an orphan and then he just has a grudge against Christmas. Like, they just glance over that. Like, they don't really give it that much attention. I think the idea was that um, Christmas time was a time of family Mm -hmm. and because he didn't have one, because he was an orphan, that made him despise Christmas. And even says at the end, like... um, Spoil- <laughs> I was just like, I'm gonna give a spoiler warning, but you already know the goddamn story. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Spoilers, people, everybody. Spoil. <laughs> but uh, at the end, he says like um, some variation of like the reason why I thought I hated Christmas, but turns out the thing I hated was being alone, which is actually an interesting angle to take the story, mm-hmm. and it's one that actually works. For a theatrical version of this, instead of just trying to replicate what the book and the Chuck Jones shorts did, which is what I think the live-action one tried to do, uh, to varying degrees of quality. 
fuck a better word. Yeah, yeah, but that's true. Yeah, but I, I, I was confused yeah. about that angle until he said it at the end, you know? It was just me being alone and all that stuff, and they make several points in the movie where it's like, no, he's not angry, he's just sad. And some of some of that was fine, but also I was kind of, like, annoyed by that, because I was like, no, make him... Because in the original story, it's just a guy who hates Christmas. There's really no reason. It's, it's just, you know, hey... I think, also, like, I think that's one of the reasons why I like the Chuck Jones shorts short so much too is because the reason why he hates christmas is less the fact that he just hates the holiday it's the fact that his neighbors won't shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah yeah but... i think a lot of people can relate to yeah no, of course. as i pointed out with my father when i got out of the movie i said like it's one thing if he was like living next door to the who's and they were just making a lot of noise he lives on a mountain so like the noise they're making can be heard up on the mountain so like that's true. I think he's kind of justified in his his grand theft of Christmas. That's yeah, I I agree with that. Like they, I found <laughs> the depiction of the Grinch and his relationship with the Who's very interesting in this because in the uh, Ron Howard version, he's pretty much the Voldemort of uh, of of uh, Whoville. Because they're just yeah. like uh, the, the, the pure mentioning of his name. Because everybody seems to know him, but he also seems to be like an urban legend. They treat him essentially like Bigfoot in one scene. So it's uh, oh my god, you're right. Yeah. So um, we figured that out when we when me and Lyle watched it for its '90s Christmas podcast. And um, so it was uh, it was interesting to see that relationship where he's pretty much treated as this as this monster who everybody seems to know but not really. And then this little girl actually tries to befriend him and wants to wants to do uh, you know something good. And in this, it's like no, they they know the Grinch, they know that he lives up there, and they want to treat him nice, but he just doesn't acknowledge it and hates it and hates them. And I found that him being the self. Um, uh, the, the, the outcast who outcasted himself because they didn't do that. He just he just chose this life by himself. I found that kind of interesting, and it's interesting how they also don't really explain it. They just show it, and you and you are allowed to uh, pick all those clues up uh, yourselves because they don't really they don't really acknowledge him when he just goes through the supermarket. They just treat him like every other person. And it's not like they part ways or uh, hide when he enters the street. So I found that actually uh, kind of interesting. Uh, that was an interesting angle to take. Um, and w I was totally fine with that. Um, and he, his interactions with the uh, uh, townsfolk is, is really funny too. How he passive-aggressively just makes their life worse when he destroys the snowman. <laughs> yeah. And um, when he he's like uh, talking to Cindy Lou Who about her letter, and he's like, "Oh, that's right, nobody's seen him." Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's just—he's basically in this version, he's just a dick. He's yeah, I think that's actually a funny. Thing. And I think I think that's why Cumberbatch decided to use his American accent instead of his um, British one because he plays a dick really well as the American act with the American accent. So it's. It's less like you're watching Smog the Dragon and more like you're watching your really grumpy neighbor. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> because from the first trailer, I was really turned off by Benedict Cumberbatch's voice because he is a great choice to play the Grinch. But I was I didn't like the voice he picked in the trailer because it just sounds like... It doesn't sound like himself. And I wished he would have done, like, his Khan voice or something yeah. like that. Like, uh... Something something really evil and mean, and this he just sounds kind of snooty. I'm going to steal Christmas like in, in that way. But um, I actually think in the movie, it, it took me a while, but for the most part, I actually didn't mind it. I actually think it, it worked, and you can clearly uh, hear his voice. You can recognize his voice, and you and can... he's having fun, which is really surprising. Yes, and you also can see it in the animation, like the, the way they oh, yeah. animate him, his body language. Uh, it's it's really really. I, I thought it, it was actually well done. It was a good match, and um, for the most part, I thought the uh, the voice acting uh, from the other uh, characters was was really good and very colorful too. Wait, especially the girl played Cindy Lou. I I wasn't expecting her to stand out that much, but she she really was a good child actor. Yeah, from the very first scene, I was like, wow, they picked someone who is uh, really expressive. And really likable, and um, it's when I have one tiny problem with the voice acting is the the choice of the narrator. 
which doesn't mean like for the people who don't know um Pharrell Williams uh, is the narrator in this and I like Pharrell Williams as an artist and as a person it's totally fine but his voice stuck out like it's not like he did a bad job but from the very first line I was like yeah, okay this this is weird. This is it's, it's really surreal when you first hear him because you like you're so used to like Boris Karloff and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, and then you hear this this rapper guy. You're like, the fuck. Yeah, that's a, that was really weird, and it's like, and I, I kind of feel bad because you know he has a he has a history with Illumination, you know, from the very first movie. But now, I kind of have a feeling like that he's become the bitch. I think you think he have you. Have you read that review on Letterboxd that's described that's of a mid '90s by Wes that's describing like A24 holding Lucas Hedge and Timothy uh, Timothy Timothy something hostage in their basement? <laughs> so I think they might be doing the same with the guy with Illumination. Yeah, because oh no, like it's like they're holding him hostage and dragging him out for every other Illumination movie, and it's just. He deserves so much better than this, you know, not that they are the worst movies or anything, but they're just one of the most obnoxious companies. And it's just, it's clearly there, they picked him because name recognition and young audience. That's the reason. Then he was the closest one to, to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, it was just, you know, why don't they get another dignified horror actor to do the, the the narration, you know, to to keep in with the history of this, you had Boris Karloff and Rachel, of course. You had Anthony Hopkins, which was a which was a funny pick, and at this you pick Pharrell Williams, who would have been a good choice. Would have been a good choice when we are talking about like. God. Uh, I'm trying to think of like recent like good horror actors is the thing. Uh, oh God, recent horror actors. Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Maybe, I... but he doesn't. He he didn't play the villain in those. Um, I don't really know because it's really weird. Most most horror movies today don't really have a villain as much as just a monster who doesn't speak. True. So I don't know. Get last, the, get the, the last horror movie I saw that had a villain that spoke was Don't Breathe. Oh, I know one. How about how about Charles Dance? <laughs> Charles Dance. Charles Dance. You know the guy who plays. Uh, with the old Lannister in Game of Thrones, and he was Dracula too, and Dracula Untold, and he he's been in a ton of stuff oh, where, where he's guy. the villain. He's a dignified British actor with some. Oh yeah, I think he could work. He could he could have worked. So our pick would have been Charles Dance, I guess. <laughs> I guess. But anyway, back to the movie. Instead of the, uh, the last edited this out, but my fire alarm went off three times in a row, so. <laughs> It's like it's like the it's like the universe doesn't want us to do this review, which is weird. Yeah, we, first the audio, the, first the audio fucked up when we were talking about the live action one. And now this. Illumination, illumination um, wants to hinder us uh, of doing our review, but we didn't hate the movie, maybe, people. Maybe we found them out when we talked about their their creepy sex dungeon. Keeping up, what's his name? And Tyler, the creator too. Oh god, Tyler the Creator, which ventures for ventures the stupidest name since Cedric the Entertainer for one. Okay. And just I, oh, I okay, okay, a bit off topic here. I just want to express my annoyance on something. Mm-hmm. So you have Danny fucking Elfman doing the music for this movie. Yeah. But you commissioned Tyler the Creator to do a rendition of your mean one, Mr. Grinch, when you have the guy who did the Nightmare Before Christmas doing your score, which was actually inspired by the Grinch. So what yeah, the fuck? I know, I know. That's just also let's sell albums, you know, let's sell albums and, and all that stuff and, and cross cr- cross promotions That's and not EPs. Like Elfman's name sells. It's not like everybody knows who he is. Yeah, but it's like you know, I I was frustrated with that because the, the the first the first like you mean one Mr. Grinch, you know that song that wasn't that wasn't so bad. I thought it worked in the film when you see like his breakfast machine, whatever. But the ending credit song was just fucking awful. Oh, God, that, that was the worst ending credit song I've heard since since uh, the fucking Eminem song that played at the end credits of Venom. Oh God! And and also the end credit song. <laughs> And that was yeah, and and, and the, the the Eminem Venom song was the first was the worst song since the ending credits song of Mulan. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but 
Yeah, this uh, I was frustrated by that because I enjoyed that they didn't do a dance number this time at the end, which was surprising. But they did something kind of that's during the ending credits you just see a bunch of slapstick and just whatever. At least it's not a dancing, but the song was just so awful. Because Danny Elfman's score is so good in this. Yeah, it was. It was really nice, especially the um, the track that plays during uh, the first scene. You see Cindy Lou and going for the town it was really really nice yeah i especially enjoyed the track when he's actually stealing christmas but whole sequence for oh, one was yeah, just that was so good. creative and the music is is great with the, the very aggressive children's choir <laughs> yeah i especially love um i especially love how um the audio with the music and the voice acting seems to mesh really well with the animation which is something i don't really see he that often which is weird. Like animation's like this medium that's like was based around movements matching with um, the music and the audio. And very few animated features I've seen recently don't really do that that often, which is odd. Yeah, yeah. This one goes to, for a cartoony vibe, you know. And yeah, I enjoyed it. it. It's I not supposed to be realistic. View as more Looney Tunes than Minions. Yeah, Which again, was really surprising. Yeah, it is. It is. They actually show some dignity with this. When they do slapstick, it's earned, and they don't do it that often. It's it's really well done. I enjoyed. I didn't expect to like Max from the trailers, but I liked him. Oh, yes. You know, I actually thought his his relationship with a dog was was kind of cute. I expected to despise the reindeer, and I didn't. He was actually kind of kind of cute and. Of course, he's yeah. just there to sell toys. He's designed. I was sad when he left the movie. I was like, "Oh man, he, he's <laughs> designed." Fred, don't leave. Yeah, he's just designed to sell toys. Basically, that's all why he's there for. But they don't utilize him in a way I feared because they don't yeah. really. He, he does what he has to do, and then he leaves, and then he comes back uh, at the end. But I've actually thought. Uh, they did a good job and uh, uh, there was one joke involving him it was one of my favorite jokes in the movie that actually made me laugh out loud because in this one the Grinch actually for people who haven't seen the movie um, the Grinch goes on a search to look for reindeer uh, for his sleigh to steal Christmas and that was which is kind of a funny sequence and then he finds reindeer and then the screaming goat yeah they do the screaming goat from YouTube joke in this which was which was kind of uh but I'll give them credit, they actually, they do it a lot better than they do in the trailer because it's not like he the goat shows up and then screams and then the, the herd goes away like you see in the trailer. It's actually kind of built up. Yeah, that's it true. Kind of, it's actually a funny punchline. Yeah, but, but yeah. Which kind of, kind of brings up why I brought up um, Wiley Coyote because that's kind of like a very, you know, almost almost got the roadrunner, but then something came up that made him get away kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then all the reindeer leave, and there's just this one, this one that looks like it's this really, really big, fat reindeer. You've seen it in the trailer. <laughs> as, as, as the Grinch says, well, uh, Santa had seven, eight reindeer. He looks like he ate the other seven. Yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> that's the joke. I, I laughed out loud at That was actually really good. He looks like he ate the other seven. <laughs> funny it's like <laughs> that was yeah that was pretty good and then how he i mean they they show that he's not a villain a bad guy in this he's just a grumpy guy who actually has some heart and that's kind of like that kind of like undermines the message it's like okay they show that he's quote-unquote human which is nice but still it, it kind of it, it kind of makes the, the the big change of heart at the end it makes that a little bit underwhelming because you already see that he's not that bad of a guy, and now when he, you know, when his heart uh, grows three sizes, and you hear this big choir, and he stands there and smiles, it's just I don't feel yeah. that he has changed that much. Uh, he's just been a dick who still had some uh, heartfelt moments with some characters, especially Max and the reindeer. So it was like, what really has changed, and that that's the problem with this movie. That's one of the problems. They humanize him so much that uh, the big change at the end really doesn't make that much of a difference, in my opinion. Although I, I would agree, but I actually think they make one drastic change that's kind of subtle from the original story and the live-action one. But in the grand scheme of things, I actually think it wasn't... It was so subtle, I didn't realize it until my, um, my friend pointed it out. He wasn't forgiven by the whole town, is the thing. 
he was forgiven, he was invited to Christmas Eve by Cindy Lou and her family. And I thought that was really interesting because in the other story, renditions of the story, he's just like, he returns Christmas and then everybody in the town forgives him. <laughs> and now like, he's outraged by the fact that like, you broke into our houses and stole our shit. <laughs> but I think that's actually a, a smarter angle to make it like a much lower scale redemption than just oh I'm um, I'm suddenly the I'm suddenly the Messiah of this town I'm suddenly who Jesus in this town in this town although apparently who Jesus does exist in this world <laughs> <laughs> yeah you make a good point about that because I took it like no nobody really looked angry when he was just like yeah I'm. I'm, I'm sorry, but he just basically, he doesn't even really return all the presents. He just rushes, rushes in with his... He rushes in with... So, so that kind of begs the question, like, it's like what, what was the town of Whoville doing after he left? It's like, hey, guy, you left, you just left this big pile of junk here. What are we going to do? None of these <laughs> presents have tags on them. How are we supposed to know which one goes to which house? I know, I know. It's just, yeah... <laughs> It's just, he basically rushes in with a sleigh and it's like, yeah, here's all your shit, sorry. And when he leaves... <laughs> so he didn't return it properly. It's like, he just left it in the middle of town. So it's like, does that mean it was like one big free-for-all for all the gifts there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite sure. And also, I, I was surprised that he left the big tree with all the decorations. I actually expected one of the big things he would do, chopping down that tree or, or something like that. But he leaves them the tree. With the big tree in the town, which... The ornaments or something? I don't know, I don't know. it looked like there were still ornaments on that. So I was, uh, I was kind of... I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> he just got tired. I would, I would. I spent seven hours robbing people. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. But, um, yeah, whatever, whatever. Um, but, yeah, that was, uh, that was an actually... That was a interesting redemption, you know, when he says, I mean, he said sorry to the whole town, basically, but to Cindy Lou, who especially, and then she invites him, and it's not this big town thing, but I actually think they all forgave him in a way, I am not quite sure, but also they, the thing they do with Cindy Lou, who here, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't find, like, annoying or anything, but I constantly kept forgetting her plot line. When when it cuts back to her and her friends, I was like, oh yeah, this story is also going on, where she's basically Linus from uh, the Peanuts cartoon, and uh, you know, when Linus uh, has his uh, great pumpkin uh, plot, and uh, this is basically this with Christmas, where she's like, she wants to speak to Santa, and I kept constantly forgetting all oh of... <laughs> He is Linus. Oh my god, how did I not together? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I noticed that right away. It was like, wow, this is Linus of the Great Pumpkin all over again. But, um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and well, also. I this analogy, this only works if the, the Great Pumpkin did appear in <laughs> fucking need Linus in the, in, the, in the shins and took his blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. We are monsters. <laughs> I'm crying. Cry. I'm too. I'm too. Oh Jesus. <sighs> what have he done? Oh no. Um, um, sorry. Um, but coming back to that. Um, um, I actually thought that was going to be the setup to give the Grinch a love interest, and he becomes her stepdad at the end, you know. And they didn't do that, which I thought was actually kind of well done. Again, that's weird though. Like that's the thing. Like I went into this expecting it to be like a typical illumination affair, which was like basically a decent enough time to like with your kids that won't make you want to shoot yourself in the face. Mm. But, like, I walked out of it, like, saying to myself, like, this is probably going to be, like, the least dated <laughs> dated Dr. Seuss adaptation, which is so surreal to me. Yes, yes, I thought about that, too. Where I was, like, I was watching it, and I was like, wow, except the two music choices they do with the two songs in this, this is actually a, a movie that will age much better than all the other ones. This doesn't have 
the tired pop culture yeah. references. This doesn't yeah, have. That, that was the weirdest thing. Like I kept like I kept eyeing like the background. I was looking for something like like okay, there's gotta be something here. There's gotta be something here. <laughs> I, yeah. I turn up Sherlock Vision like trying to figure out things. Yeah, this is actually a timeless universe they create. It's much more timeless than. Stuff like, of course, the Lorax and Horton Hears a Who, and especially a Cat in the Head of a Grinch, which where they have all these pop cultural references and all of that. I mean, this is like basically the only stuff this is is like, yeah, the two song choices and Pharaoh Williams as the narrator. Those are the only two things, which which kind of like make you okay. This is a product of its time in a way. But for the most part, it's weird how this might remain timeless and i think danny elfman's score helps with that too it's it's actually really yeah, interesting the animation too because the animation is gorgeous it's really too. gorgeous but uh, illumination especially with the it. backgrounds like did you notice that too like how, how stunning those backgrounds were like the way they looked almost like painted yeah the mountains those pointy mountains oh, yeah, mountains really 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 nice and they uh one of the early shots when he when it's nighttime and you see who will down below and you have this swooping camera shot where he stands on top of the cliff and looks down that was one of the shots where i was like wow this is beautiful yeah i especially love when in the high sequence they do um they do something i i, I really like where they like taking 3d models and playing them up on a 2d um interface because there's like this great montage of him like stealing all the things but it's all like on a 2d plane so it almost looks like a living um uh, living picture book almost and it looks really cool yeah it looks cool like the, the whole stealing christmas montage was so well done they do some nice new gags with it how he uses like those ninja stars in a way how he wraps up the trees how he uses his shoes to go from roof to roof everything about that really really worked and uh, i liked how he has how he's like utilizing gadgets to get his things done yeah. And how there's even a point where he attempts to use a giant catapult too. Like... <laughs> that was good. That was really good when he yeah. the catapult sequence. Yeah. But um, yeah, that actually, uh, what what made me uh, raise an eyebrow is he basically has uh, unlimited amount of disposable income. <laughs> yeah, apparently enough to like buy enough food to last until January. Apparently. Yeah, it's like what what does he? Uh, maybe uh, my theory is uh, this mountain has like a silver or gold mine in it and we just don't see it i mean it's, we did see like briefly that apparently that where the clock is apparently is like very very far down so maybe maybe he does have a secret gold mine down there or something yeah his his cave is incredibly awesome in this maybe, maybe his actual plan of stealing christmas was less like the whole cover stealing christmas was a cover-up meanwhile he was just robbing them of their money and stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was, that was that was my theory too but he essentially uh, but because in um we don't really see his cave that much in the original cartoon we see his cave in the ron howard version and where he play, pretty much lives in a dump with some gadgets and this he lives in peewee's play cave <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> i was like i was watching this movie and immediately what stuck in my head was peewee's play cave <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm kind of proud of that <laughs> Amazing. thank you thank you but yeah i i liked i liked the gadgetry in this it didn't make much sense but it was like you know this is cartoon logic you are not supposed to think about this and it, i i kind of enjoyed that i was in for you know, we spent like i spent half most of this review bitching about who jesus apparently <laughs> <laughs> i was kind of in it for a ride and uh, it's fine you know something is allowed to not have a uh, big big logic you know it, it just can exist as this cartoon logic thing in this in this weird little world it has to earn that though is the thing like it can't just be like oh you can't blame it on cartoon logic i think this does enough to where it earns that like oh i'm watching a cartoon not like wait why did you just do that kind of thing like i had that i forget what where i had that issue watching something recently oh god what was it it was it was something really dumb what was it I don't know. Uh, anyway, like I feel like this does enough to where it earns that like stamp of like I can forgive your like lack of logic because you're clearly not trying to be logical. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> For fuck's sake, he robbed like I think like seven hundred houses in under seven hours. So like, 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, he, and he does he does win the original too in a way, so it's it's all fine. I think the message in this at the end. That was the original. He does it in broad daylight, apparently. I don't know. It's I don't know actually. Who knows? But uh, who knows? Haha. <laughs> um, <coughs> I'm sorry. Terrible. I'm sorry. Sorry, I made a pun. But yeah, in this it's just. They, they did, like I said, they do some they do some good jokes in this, they do some good slapstick, it doesn't detract that much from the overall thing. I mean, of course you have to pad it out in a way, because the story is so short, and they are trying cons- constantly trying to make these big budget, lengthy series adaptations, and it rarely, rarely works. And in this one, I actually think they kind of succeeded. I mean, it's, it, it's far away from... Re- the original in a way, the way they flesh the characters out, the way it's um, it's paced, and um, the sequences that do it, how they change some of the relationships and uh, flesh out the characters. So that's fine, you know, you have to do that. But I was I was actually really surprised by how, uh, despite the movie's flaws, how kind of respectful they treat this material and how. I don't know how how charmingly it's told. How little annoyed I was by this movie. I expect I really expected to despise this, and I didn't. Yeah, say, I I wasn't like completely against this movie's existence or anything. I was just like under the impression like, okay, this looks okay, but I know for a fact it's gonna annoy the ever living shit out of me. But then I watch it, I'm like, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of the surreal things I've seen. And keep in mind, at my screening. I, I mentioned this briefly in my review. I sat two rows b- up behind two people that I think were stoned off their asses. Oh, God. <laughs> because when I was in the box office getting uh, tickets for this movie, the two guys were behind me. And let me tell you, <laughs> they reeked a pot. Oh, no. So, like, either they, they were just smoking earlier those were their pot clothes, or they were stoned off their asses about to see the Grinch. <laughs> and it's the third one. I hope to God they they saw the most surreal things when they did that. Oh no! It was like maybe they didn't actually know what this movie was about. Anything, and so they was wa- they were watching it. Oh man, why is that guy green? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh God. I know. Oh god, but but uh, did you watch it in three D? I did not. Oh, I I, I, I did. 3D mode. I I made I made the extra effort to watch it in three D because I know that illumination is pretty good at that stuff, and it's really good three D. They do some really oh. nice pop out stuff in this, and with the swooping camera work in this, it actually really translates well. It's a very good looking movie in three D. They do some fun pop out stuff. I'm trying to remember the last three D movie I saw, which is a long fucking time ago. Uh, mine was Nutcracker. <laughs> I saw that in 3D as well. I think my last 3D movie I saw was Ghostbusters back in 2016. Ooh, but that was really good 3D in that. Oh yeah, it was. It was probably my favorite version, like my favorite uh, experience seeing a 3D movie. Because um, what they did with that movie, I, I said this a few times back when it premiered, was that they do an interesting thing where they have um, the letterboxes on specific points of the screen, so that way it looks, they replicate the illusion of like the... the the rays or something are coming out of the screen because um, the way it looks is that like the the image itself goes over the letterbox, mm-hmm. so it, it creates a really good um, effect of where it looks like it's coming out into the theater. It was really cool. Yeah, I really like that how they had fun with it. I saw one quick tangent, but I saw one interesting letterbox thing, and because there are two different versions of the first Michael Bay produced Ninja Turtles movie. Oh really? Yeah, when you uh, I I I own the 3D version and the 2D version of that, and in the 2D version, uh, at the end when they fight the Shredder uh, and they do like this this uh, buck buck thing, you know, when they jump over each other, and uh, uh, do- is it Donatello with a staff? Yeah, and when Donatello when Donatello jumps in the 2D version, he basically just has his staff in his hand, and then he he hits him or kicks him or, or something like that. In the 3D version. He fr- uh, he throws his staff in the air and it goes over the letter boxes. So there are actually two different animated things uh, depending on whether you watch the two D or the three D version, which was really interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of it, it's not really that subtle, but it's uh, but it's just this nice little thing where I was like, oh wow, they actually made the extra effort with that. <laughs> 
That's really weird. Yeah, yeah, but in this one, um, in the Grinch, uh, they like when he holds the cookie up and when he uh, all the flying sequences and all of that. And really, and uh, at the very beginning, there is this who kid who throws a snowball into the camera. Uh, that made me flinch. <laughs> <laughs> it really made you flinch. I was like, oh, ah, oh, it's, it's just a movie. They, 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 they do a good job with this. That was me when I saw, um, oh, what, what did I see that was like really scary? Oh, that was me when I saw the new Halloween movie. And, and I think it was like, one of them, the, they try to throw something at the screen. Now I genuinely like move out of my way in my seat. <laughs> but it happens sometimes. It was though. I think the last time that happened was, for me, was Star Trek Into Darkness. I saw that in 3D and the opening the opening scene when they get chased by the natives and they throw spears after them. And one of the spears goes, goes like, right into the camera. And I was, like, leaning out of the way, like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> kind of like this 3D Western movie. What is it, Coming At Ya? Or something like that? This very, very famous uh, 3D Western. I'm not quite sure what it's called. I think that's what it's called. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Illumination is really good with that type of stuff. Like, always the animation is gorgeous. It's, 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 it's fine, but it's just always the script, you know? But in this, I actually... I actually think all around it was it was a fairly entertaining, decent, kind of heartfelt movie. Like I was, I was, I was kind of like, wow! I was kind of stunned by that. But I have to tell you something. Um, uh, before this movie, they showed a trailer for uh, How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World. Oh yeah, yeah. I've yeah. I've seen this trailer before online, and I was like, huh, this looks good. I've seen it, this was the first time seeing it in the theater, and the opening music starts, and the Gerard Butler narration kicks in, and I felt the tears. I was like, this can't be possible. Like, it, the theater environment actually made me kind of cry at the How to Train Your Dragon 3 trailer. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was really well, I mean, that, that score is fantastic, so... I... Yeah, but I was really surprised by John that. House. And it, it just, this whole movie just looks like a big conclusion. And I, I am expecting, like, I will be in tears at the end of that movie. Like, they really seem to be like, okay, this will be the final How to Train Your Dragon movie. We will fuck you up. Like, they will wreck us emotionally. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, God. I can only imagine what the... What the aftermath of that's gonna be like oh boy i i kind of can't wait for that movie but also i'm kind of scared i'm really scared <laughs> don't blame you oh man oh wow 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 but yeah um in conclusion both of us actually really enjoyed this movie and i've seen some negative feedback online and it's not undeserved you know i can totally see why people wouldn't like this when they really have a big, uh, deep attachment to the original story and they think that this adaptation is doing it a disservice. You know, I can totally see that. There's nothing wrong with hating this movie in a way, but maybe, like, uh, if it's it's bullshit reasons, then maybe. But I can see see good reasons for not liking this. But I actually, I didn't expect anything going in, and I had a pretty good time. Like, I have some issues with it, of course, but they are kind of minor yeah of course it's kind of like it's kind of like a toothless version of the story a little bit they, they don't do that much as they could have done but they do much more than they usually do in these types of movies so yeah i i guess i recommend it if you want to see a christmasy movie with the kids i would, I would too I, I i think this is a fairly solid family movie that you can enjoy whether you will watch it in theaters or you wait to for it to come on home video like next year or something yeah um i mean i wouldn't say like it's one of those movies that you're gonna put put on like all the time at christmas time but if you want to watch something christmasy in theaters in no fucking november for some reason um i recommend this yeah i actually say if you like the grinch but you hated the ron howard version i'm i'm I, I'm convinced you might like this one. Actually, I think you might like this one okay. Um, if you have the chance, you know, if you are currently, you know, you're a family, you want to go to the theater and you have the choice between this and the Nutcracker, go see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked the Nutcracker more than you did, but um, I, I definitely say this would be the better option too. Yeah, because the Nutcracker... 
Vanessa... because this movie actually has a third act that doesn't feel like because this movie doesn't have the third act straight, ripped straight out of the Santa Claus too. Yeah, yeah, that's tr that's true exactly. Because the Nutcracker actually had some really really creepy parts in it which are not suitable for children at all. I will talk about that. Oh, yeah. uh, oh that's the thing that like scared me that because I saw the Nutcracker, I was the only one in the theater, so oh no. <laughs> Uh, and so, when those fucking clowns showed up, I'm not joking, these things were scarier than anything Pennywise did in the recent It movie. <laughs> <laughs> they were really scary. Not, I genuinely was, like, moving out of my seat in pure fear, because they kept, like, going at, right at, up to the screen, too. It was like, ah, ah, get away from me! Yeah, I had, the same, I had the same reaction. I was like, uh, I kind of got used to them. After a while, but oh god, the first scene was really freaky. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I actually, I actually think your kids will get a lot more out of this because this isn't boring. Like I thought, the Nutcracker was really boring for the most part, except for the visuals. And this one, it doesn't really have a lot of downtime in a way. Like I think kids will enjoy this way more because it's um, it's much more bright, it's more colorful, it has more likable characters, and it just has a lot of very very good energy and uh, that's what yeah. uh, i enjoyed so much it's genuinely funny too it's not like funny and like a funny that only kids can enjoy it i say it's like genuinely pretty funny because again it goes for more looney tunes style humor than like minions which is like just screaming and punching people yeah that's true they, they do have they do have a lot of good uh, humor they have some good jokes in this and some good slapstick when he accidentally turns on the tree for example and steals Andrew Lansbury's show oh, yeah, who's just so who's just in this one <laughs> especially when he's in catapult like they, they, oh at least I couldn't get any more <laughs> <laughs> they cast Andrew Lansbury just in this one scene I was like okay that's their dignified actor choice I guess Instead of a narrator, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if if we had a female narrator this time, and it was Angela Lansbury? That might have worked. That would actually be pretty cool. Yeah, you know, doing something, you know, doing doing something kind of like uh, changing it up a bit. You know, this time let it have a female narrator. But I guess Illumination is not that kind of studio who is willing to take any quote unquote risks, even though it wouldn't have been that big of a risk. Yeah, whatever. Uh, whatever. You know, this uh, no, that's not our final thoughts on this movie, whatever. It's not. We actually thought it was decent. I actually thought it was fun and fine. And uh, I had a good time with it. And you did too, and that's that's really good. Yeah, I would honestly really recommend this. I wouldn't call it like one of my favorite movies of the year, but I would definitely say it's worth checking out. Like you, you think you'll have a good time, and you're looking for something kind of Christmassy too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I agree. So people, if you have any doubts about this, if you want to trust us, um, then I would say check it out or wait for the DVD, but especially in this time of the year, you know, um, if you want to have something to put you in the Christmas mood, this is a good choice. Way better than other Christmassy movies that are uh, currently out now. Um, so I guess that's our final thoughts on this. Um, thank yeah. you so much for uh, being a guest on here again. Oh, thank, oh, this was a blast. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, actually talking for once about something we both liked and not like ranting on on stuff like we did for the most part in our last episode. God, yeah, like the rambling about Stonehenge or something. Stonehenge. I mean, we, we, we talked about how much we loved John Powell and uh, for Ragnarok, but uh, we also screamed a lot about how we, we hated certain stuff and right now you know it's november uh let's show some love yeah. for something <laughs> yeah so um uh, where can people find you if you want to be found oh yeah if you want to be find me um i'm on letterboxd i'm arrow rocks five on letterboxd um i also have a coffee account which is um a service that allows you to donate or buy things from me for about three dollars for one coffee I'm currently not taking review requests at the moment because it's been kind of taxing on my brain. And I'm mostly focusing on art, so if you want a quick painting, just give me some, give, uh, give a quick buy and I'll uh, make something for you. I'm also on Twitter, um, same hashtag, or at, at, I guess. And I'm also on Facebook, but I don't use it that often. And I'm, I'm really in the mood to share that right now, so yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah, uh, check her out. Check check the letterbox stuff out. Uh, really, really good and fun reviews. And also, you have some great opinions on Twitter, like how you constantly tweet all the time. It's really, really, it's really, really good and re- really entertaining. I enjoy reading those. Um, if you want to find me, I mean, this is uh, Fans About Films, a podcast, of course. You could find it on SoundCloud and iTunes. I am on Facebook and on Twitter at Lasse Vogt. Um, I have a YouTube channel, The Depart, where I also have currently some English video reviews for um, movies like um, Haunted Halloween and um, Bruce Bumps 2, I mean, and uh, Bad Times at Via Royale. Uh, check those out. And I write German soundtrack reviews for scoregeek.wordpress.com. The next review will actually be for Danny Elfman's The Grinch. So I'm looking forward to listening to the score again and taking notes. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we managed to do this so quickly. Thank you so much for being a guest on here again. Oh, no problem. <laughs> and uh, we will... Um, We will see you next time, dear people. Goodbye and good night. Goodbye.